some uh, songs and some time in worship here in a few minutes. But church family, it's good to be together. And if you're a guest today, thank you for welcoming us into your home. My name is Chad Allen, lead pastor here at Cuyahoga Valley Church. And it's a joy and a privilege to be with you today. And if you are a returning guest from Easter, we are absolutely grateful that you've come back. And for all of us today, our, our hope is that our time together will give us encouragement and it will really direct our eyes and our hearts and our minds toward the Lord during these times. All times, it's important for that, but especially these times. We have had a bizarre season. And for many of you, your world has been absolutely turned upside down in the last month. And so these are difficult times, challenging times. I've spent uh, several days over the last week asking people, hey, if you could describe uh, what your last few weeks have been like in one word, what word comes to mind? And so I've heard words like exhausted and scared and afraid, food, um, you know, frustration, anger, skepticism. And so we've all been going through many of these types of dynamics and experiences and emotions and feelings. In fact, I just want to give you about 90 seconds. And I don't know if you're sitting in a room with some friends or family right now, uh, maybe you're by yourself, but I want you to take about 90 seconds. And if you can just take this time and briefly share what word you think best captures what you've experienced for the last few weeks. And so share that with each other. If you're by yourself, maybe text someone or call someone or reach out to someone and say, what word would you use and, and interact with that? So I'm going to give you about 90 seconds and have that discussion. Well, I hope that 90 seconds was kind of fun as you heard different words that uh, you shared or hopefully texted or uh, shared in person. You know, one of the words that I would pick for 
what I've experienced and what I think my family has experienced these last few weeks is the word uncertainty. I, I think that's a word a lot of us could really gravitate toward. It's, these are uncertain times. Uh, questions like, do I have the virus? Do I not have the virus? Am I a carrier? Can I uh, pass this on to someone who this is a bigger threat to? Um, am I going to ever go back to work? Or for some of you in the medical field, when am I going to get back to regular hours of work and not be afraid of taking this bug back to my home or my family. Uh, we all have questions right now and we're longing for answers and we're longing to kind of get out of this quarantine mindset and quarantine dynamic. And so they're definitely uncertain times. But I think one of the reasons I would choose the word uncertainty for what we've been going through is as I shared a few weeks ago, uh, my wife Rika uh, has been symptomatic. And so she had the big three. She had the respiratory issues, which she's never had. And she had the dry cough and then the fever. And so basically her doctor said, we can't test you. Uh, you're not in bad enough shape to get a test, test um, but you have it. And so we've been living in a quarantine life and we've had to extend that quarantine because uh, her fever hasn't broke. And so you're supposed to be three days fever free before you can ease up a little bit on your quarantine and start to step outside. And in the meantime, uh, our youngest child, Faith, who's 10, uh, has had a, a fever for about 10 days now. She has no other symptoms. But so, so we're sitting in this place going, okay, do we have it? Do we not have it? The doctors say my wife has it. The, my, my, my daughter's doctor saying my daughter has it, but we don't have a test to confirm that. And then you hear about people that have the same symptoms and they get a test and then they say, oh, the, the test was false. So then you hear it was a false negative. And then you hear about other people who have only one symptom and they, they get tested and they have it. And so we've really been living in this like, ah, do we go out? Do we not go out? We know not to go out. Do we have it? Do we not have it? And, uh, you know, our, our health, we don't feel threatened. Um, you know, our health, as far as this is concerned, but we want to monitor our health to make sure it doesn't get worse, but then also make sure that we're not a threat to someone else who's more vulnerable. So it just felt very uncertain. And, and we live in uncertain times, but humanity is familiar with uncertain times. Our, our history has been filled globally, uh, nationally, regionally, and personally with uncertain moments in our life and in our history. And so how do we respond? How do we respond in uncertain times? Well, as people of God, as followers of Christ, we respond in faith. Now, it's not realistic to say that your faith is never impacted, that you never kind of ebb and flow in your faith, but we're always being called by God back to a place of walking in faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. But why? Faith in ourselves? No. Faith in our emotions? No. Our opinions? No. Faith in what we as humans are capable of? No. We have faith in a God who's unchanging, who is unfailing. And so uh, my hope today is that our brief time together will remind us of who God is. And because of his unchanging, unfailing nature, we can rest right now. Um, we can walk in hope and we can walk with a certain faith during uncertain times. And so we're starting a series today called Uncertainty. And we're going to spend the next several weeks coming up really talking about what it means to have a certain faith 
during uncertain times. And what me and the other teaching pastors that are going to help teach during the series are going to be talking about are biblical biographies. Uh, there's value in looking at historically how God has shown up and demonstrated his faithfulness. And so we're going to be looking at some of the known and maybe unknown Bible stories where men and women of God uh, were living in uncertain times, dealing with uncertain emotions, yet some of them really stepped up and walked it out in faith, faith in who God is and what he can do. And so that's where we're going to be in this series uh, over the weeks to come. Now for today, I want us to step back in time. I want us to step back somewhere between 1300 and 1500 BC to the time of Moses. And as we step back in time, uh, where we're entering into history is the moment where uh, the people of Israel, the Hebrew nation is wandering in the wilderness. And uh, this is a region that is between Israel and Egypt. And uh, they have been miraculously delivered from uh, Egypt years before. Uh, they, they, did, they successfully turned an 11-day journey, right? It would have took them about 11 to 12 days to go from Egypt to the promised land of Canaan, which includes modern-day Israel and some of the surrounding uh, nations. And so... They turned an 11-day to 12-day journey into a 40-year wandering because of their attitude, because of their disgruntledness, because of their disobedience. And so now you have one generation that has died off and is dying off, another generation that's emerged, and they're getting closer to the promised land. So they left Egypt, they've seen God do great miracles, great delivery, and now they're coming into the land of Canaan. And what's about to happen is uh, God has oppressed on Moses to send some spies in, 12 spies to recon, check out the land a little bit. And that's the account we're going to look at right now. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Numbers today, Numbers chapter 13. So open up your Bibles to number 13 or your Bible apps to Numbers 13. I don't think when you woke up this morning, you thought, I think we're going to be in Numbers. Didn't see that coming, but that's where we're going to be today. And what I want to do as we enter the story is I want to... Uh, teach a little bit and then uh, read a little bit, teach a little bit and then read a little bit and then teach out of that uh, through some of the passages in Numbers 13 and Numbers 14. So you can turn to Numbers chapter 13 and just think about the mindset and the uncertainty that these people are in. I mean, talk about disruption, talk about inconvenience, talk about uh, really living in a challenging time in the desert, uh, wandering, traveling, hoping to get to a land that you've never seen that's supposed to be a, a, an amazing land. And so here we enter into this moment. And let's look first at Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. So here's what we have. We have 12 tribes in Israel. And so we have one leader from each tribe. So now we have 12 spies that are going to go out. If you continue to read through Numbers 13 and into 14, you'll see the names of these people. But I want to highlight two. We're going to talk today about Joshua and Caleb. Some of you knew this was coming. 
coming, by the way. Uh, we're going to talk about Joshua and Caleb. A shout out to all the Joshuas and Calebs that might be uh, with us today. Uh, hopefully you will live up to this amazing name that we have. Now, they're being sent from the wilderness of Paran. If you were to look at a map at, at the um, Sinai Peninsula, you will see this huge, vast desert wilderness that exists with the Mediterranean Sea to the north and the Red Sea to the south. And then you have the Sinai Peninsula there, and the wilderness of Paran is there. But the spies are being entered into uh, Israel, and they're going to travel as far as north as the region of Galilee. And they're going to be uh, surveying the land, checking out the soil, and scoping out the inhabitants to see what kind of people live there. Do they live in tents? And are they nomads like they are? Uh, or do they live in these big fortified walled cities with, with lots of defenses? This, this is what they're to do. They're to go and spy out the land. And so they do that for 40 days and come back. So let's pick it up in Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. It says, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron, and these are the leaders, right? And to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to the, all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. While they were there, uh, they actually uh, cut off a cluster of grapes just to bring back as exhibit A of, of, of what they found in the land. And verse 27 says, They told them, We came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And so what they're saying is, this land is fertile. It's fruitful. It's an amazing land. The, 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 um, the animals produce, the trees and the flowers produce. It's a fruitful land. It's flowing with milk and honey. But then look at verse 28. However... The people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And so what we see here is 40 days of recon. They bring back a sample from this amazing fertile land that they just got a chance to walk around for 40 days. But the people, they're saying, are huge. They're talking about the sons of Anak. Just so you know, uh, the sons of Anak and the Nephilim, this is a, a descendants of people that are large in size. They're known to be towering people, big people, and fierce people, warriors. Maybe a modern day example would be like a Samoan. For, for whatever reasons, through the genetics, Samoans are just known to be huge, strong, warrior-like people. And so this is, this is what they're coming back with. They're saying, um, great land, slight problem. The people are huge. They're warriors. And on top of that, they live in fortified cities. They live behind rock walls. So we don't stand a chance to get into the land and take possession of it. And so this is what they're talking about. And so you can tell uncertainty and discouragement have settled into the hearts of the spies, but not all the spies. There were 12, but there are going to be two whose voices stand out. They will be the minority among the majority. Look at verse 25 through 28. I'm sorry, look at verse 30, Numbers 13, 30. It says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses. So he got everyone to hush, right? And he said, let us go up at once 
and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb's speaking with confidence, not confidence in who they are, not confidence in what they can do, but because Caleb has seen and heard what God has done, he knows that God has said, I'm giving you this land. Who cares that the people are big? Who cares that the cities are massive? Uh, God said, this is the land I have for you. Let's go get it. Verse 31 says that the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Do you see what's happening here? It's the classic standoff. It's the classic tension between faith and doubt, belief and unbelief, trusting God, not trusting God. And, and wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, this tension always flares up in our life. It flares up in our own hearts. It flares up in our relationships. It flares up in our church family. Are we going to be people of faith or people without faith? People who believe in what God has said and what God has done or people who disbelieve? Are we going to step out in confidence in who God is? Or are we going to live in fear because all we see is what we see and what we feel instead of fixing our eyes on God. This is the tension that's starting to develop, and it's a classic tension. Let's keep going. Numbers 14. We're going to go for a little stretch here, 1 through 10. It says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. The people heard the bad report. We've come all this far. We've come to this amazing land, and we can't get in. It's going to be too hard. So they're wailing. They're grieving. They're bitter. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They turned on their leaders, right? And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. Let's just pause here. See what's happening? And this happens in our heart too, if we're not careful. The people are so discouraged. They, they have such a lack of faith that slavery looked better than freedom. And to go back to where they came from was going to be easier and more appealing than to fight the fight of faith. And we're going to talk more about that next week, by the way, what it means to fight the fight of faith and some of the practical, tactical um, things we can be doing right now to fight the fight of faith. But, but they're not willing to do that. So, so slavery looks better. Going back looks better. And we know that's not true. They're just afraid to step out and trust God. They're afraid to take the land, believing God at what he said. God said, I'm going to give you the land. I said, I'm going to give it to you. So now they're not believing God and what he has said. And, and they're not looking back on history. They, they have water coming from a rock. They've got miraculous provision of quail uh, when they desired meat. They've got manna, this, this miraculous bread substance that feeds them for 40 years. They have a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that's guided them. Uh, they have seen... Um, the, the destruction of a pursuing army. They miraculously were free from Egypt, the plagues. This is one generation away from all these events, but they're not looking at the history of God's faithfulness. Instead, they're looking at what they could do and they know that they can't do it. 
They're absolutely right. But they're not looking at what God can do. They're not trusting who he is and what he's done throughout their history as a nation to prove that he's going to go before them and give them this land. And so now there's mutiny. They're turning on their leader. They're turning on um, anyone who's going to give a good report, and they're in a bitter, bad place. Look at verse 6. Here's where we see Joshua and Caleb really distinguish themselves. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes. They're just grieved at the disbelief of the people. And said to the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection, and look at this, it doesn't say will be, it says the protection is removed from them. And, and this is the key phrase, the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Now, of course, what we see next in verse 10 is that the people were ready to pick up rocks and kill them. Isn't it amazing how you can get to such a bad place that even people who speak truth, speak faith, become your, your adversary? Because you're so determined to see the negative and the bitter and so um, steeped in unbelief and a lack of faith. But we see that Joshua and Caleb stood out. They were men of faith. They believed in what God said, and they believed in what God could do, and they had a history to support it. And so they said, the Lord is with us. Why did they say that? Why did they say the Lord is with us? Well, for one, because the Lord said that he's with them. And for two, they had seen it demonstrated through their own history. They could trust God by what they've seen and what they've heard from others who firsthand witnessed all the miraculous. That's why they could step out in faith the way they did. And so God gave them a heart to trust. They believed the Lord and took him at his word. And they had a ton of history to to prove God's unfailing faithfulness to back it. So what does that mean for us today? Well, you can have faith in God during these uncertain times. You can step out and trust. You don't have to be overwhelmed by fear. You don't have to be overwhelmed by worry. You're going to experience it. Let's be real. You're going to experience fear. You're going to experience worry, but it doesn't have to lead you and dominate you and overtake you. You can instead reorient yourself back to trust in the Lord. You know, it's hard today to be a voice of certainty and a voice of confidence because there's a lot of negative voices out there. Like when you read the headlines right now and you watch the news and you listen to the fear of a lot of people, there's a lot of dominant fearful language that starts to take root. As people of God, as followers of Christ, we don't let fear dominate our heart. God's given us the power of his Holy Spirit, the power of his word, and this gift of faith and belief and a history of centuries and millennial to not um, let us be overcome by fear. And so I think as you're surveying the landscape right now and you're looking at your own life, are, are you limiting yourself to thinking of only what man can do? of only what you're capable of doing? Or are you seeing what God can do right now? Look at your job scenario. Yeah, what what can you do? You know, you don't want to be passive. 
Um, but you don't want to be over, overwhelmed. What can God do in your job situation in the months that unfold? Um, with your health, you know, yes, we're so grateful for doctors and nurses and these warriors on the front lines. But, but doctors can treat, but they can't really bring the healing and the hope that God can. And I've heard that firsthand from doctors who love Jesus to say, hey, look, I can treat, I can help, but ultimately the best thing I can do is point people to God because that's where true healing and hope lies. And so you only see what man can do because if you do, you're going to see the limitations and the ceiling is going to be much lower. Or are you seeing what God can do? Because he raises the ceiling of our faith and we can walk in faith. We can walk in trust. We can have certain faith in this unfailing God who's revealed himself over and over and over. And so we don't want to let our emotions rule the day. We don't want to let our opinions rule the day. We don't want to let our trust in ourselves or in mankind rule the day. We need to orient our trust to the Lord. What has God said that he's going to carry out? What uh, have we seen in our personal history to keep reminding us that God is faithful? Well, one example of what that can look like during this time is, is from a letter I received this week. And it's just one of many examples of what walking in faith can look like and feel like during the season. And I want to read a letter that was sent to me by a, a woman named Karen. And she's a friend. And this was a letter that she received from her nephew's wife, who lives in Austria, Vienna, Austria. And this letter is from northern Italy from a doctor. And that's an area where they still speak some German. And so they, she translated the German letter from this Italian doctor and just said, this, this is a great testimony, and I just wanted to send it on to you. So I'm sharing it now with you because I found it very compelling and very encouraging. And it's a reminder of how God is present in the midst of a crisis. And it's also a reminder of how God uses his people when they act on faith in him. So let me read this to you. It says, um, and this is from, again, an Italian doctor in northern Italy. She said, never in my darkest dreams could I have imagined what I have seen and experienced in the last three weeks in our hospital. The bad dream will not stop. The flow of sick patients gets bigger all the time. First came individuals, then dozens, then hundreds, and now we are no longer doctors. We have become an assembly line of workers who decide who will be helped and who will be sent home maybe to die. Although all these people have been paying Italian taxes their entire life. Until two weeks ago, I and my colleagues were atheists. It was normal because we're doctors, and we learn that knowledge has to deny the existence of God. I have always laughed about my parents going to church. Well, nine days ago, a 75-year-old pastor came to us, a kind man. He had major breathing problems and carried a Bible with him. It impressed us as he read from his Bible to the dying while holding their hands. All the doctors were tired, discouraged, and physically drained. But as we had time, we listened to him. Now we had to admit, we as human beings had reached the end of our capabilities. We could not do any more. Daily, more people were dying, and we were already exhausted. Two of our colleagues have died, and others can barely stand on their feet. We recognized we need God. Everywhere where that which man can accomplish ends. We also begin to pray whenever we had a few free minutes. We talked with each other and could not believe that we, as convinced atheists, had reached the point to find our peace about begging God to help us endure so that we could focus on the sick. 
Yesterday, the 75-year-old man passed away. Although until today, in the last three weeks, we had over 120 deaths, but we were all devastated because the old pastor during his stay had accomplished to bring us a peace that we no longer hope to find. The pastor went to be with the Lord, and we believe we will follow him one day. For six days, I've not been at home. I don't remember when I last ate a meal, and I recognize my uselessness on this earth, and I would like to devote my last breath to help others. I'm happy that I've returned to God. In the situation where I'm surrounded by suffering and death by my fellow human beings. Now, I don't know how many weeks, maybe in a month or two, this letter, uh, how old this letter is. But what a great example that one man who was frail, who was sick, came with an attitude of faith and made such a profound difference and impact in the lives of so many, including this Italian doctor who went from being an atheist to someone trusting God. Now, I don't know if she trusts in Christ, but we believe that that uh, seed has been sown and watered and maybe even harvested by now. If that can happen in this situation, how can God use you as a healthy person, as an unhealthy person, as an employed person, as an unemployed person, as a person working a ridiculous amount of hours right now, or a person sheltering in place, how can God use you and your faith in an unfailing God to make a difference right now? And so my hope is that today, as we spent this time together, our hearts our minds, our eyes are being aimed toward God and seeing that we can walk this out. We can have certain faith in this unfailing God during this time. For some of you, uh, this moment has affirmed you. You've been walking out in faith. You've been living out in faith. You know God's got this, um, and you're just following his lead. So praise God for where you're at. Continue to stay there and grow. For some of you, this moment refreshed your faith. Honestly, you, you've been kind of been beaten down and feeling spiritually fatigued, mentally fatigued, emotionally fatigued. Um, this has been a refreshment, hopefully, for you to be, yes, 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 I can trust God. Look, look at what all he's done over history. Look at what he's done in my history. I know I can trust him. And you feel refreshed. And for some of you, this is an invitation. This is an invitation to come into relationship with this God who's proven himself over the entire history of humanity to be faithful. And the greatest act of faithfulness that God has given us is when he gave us his son. Because of our sinfulness, because of our rebellion, our relationship with God, much like this woman I just read from, was fractured. And our good works and doing spiritual things and our good intentions will never repair the fractured relationship with God that sin has brought. Only God can do that. And he did that when he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. We talked so much about that last week, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but then he rose from the grave, conquered sin, conquered death. And if God can do that, and if he's faithful to do that, there is nothing he can't do. And so right now, uh, this is an invitation to be in relationship with God or take your next step toward Christ.
Well, what I want to do is I want to remind you that we want to turn this moment into an opportunity to interact with one another and an opportunity to interact with one another. I hope you're all in a life group right now. Right now, our life groups are growing and the interaction is growing. And so if you're not currently in a life group, please get into one. Uh, if, if you need help, we'd love to help you. So if you need to get into a life group, you, you want to talk to a pastor. You need help. If there's anything we can do to help you right now, please text us. We have people live standing by to interact with you. And so text the word connect at the number 440-276-5575. If you text connect to 440-276-5575, we'd love to help you in whatever area of need that you have. Some of you have been hearing about Jesus for years, months, weeks, days. Maybe just now was just that final step that you're ready to enter into that relationship with Jesus. You know you need Christ. You can feel him drawing you. Don't hide from that. Don't push it away. Take it now, this very moment, and text the word Jesus. We have people ready to help you take that next step of faith. Text the word Jesus to that same number, 440-276-5575. We want to help you take that next step toward this relationship with Christ, this faithful God. So as we get ready to transition right now, um, I want to give you those reminders. Also, as our church family, just a reminder, make sure you're faithful and you're giving right now. Uh, your giving helps us stay strong in a season where so many need help. And so we want to be faithful with our global ministry partners, our ministry partners here in the Cleveland area, and uh, our attempts and efforts to minister to people. So make sure that uh, you're giving online. If you're part of our church family, we want to make sure that we're being faithful and keeping the ministry strong. But I want to give all these reminders. And then um, as a moment of connection after the service. We're going to sing in a minute. Uh, I have a question I would like you to talk about amongst the people you're sitting with, or maybe if you're by yourself, text or get on the phone with somebody and ask this question. As we think about how we can have certain faith in this unfailing God, here's a question I want to leave you with before we go into our worship time. Where has God shown up in your personal history to remind you of his faithfulness? Where has God shown up in your personal history to remind you of his faithfulness? Think about that. And after we declare God's faithfulness through song, ask each other about the answer to that question and have a time of sharing. Again, thank you for welcoming us into your home. So glad to be with you guys. Keep trusting God. Keep walking by faith, not by sight. And we look forward to being with you during the week through our life groups on Zoom and other platforms and also getting back together with you next week. Tonight, by the way, I'm going to be live online at 6.30, and we're going to just have a time talking about this. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what word is describing what you've been going through. I'd love to hear some of the answers to these questions. Where has God shown up in your life and in history to remind you of His faithfulness? We're going to talk tonight, just a live interactive Q&A at 6.30 about how we can trust God during the season. So some of you, I'll see you online tonight at 6.30 at Life Group throughout the week, and then next weekend we'll be together again. God bless you. We'll see you next time.